It's great to have United Praise join our chancel choir today and help lead us in worship. Now as we turn to God's Word, I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9 today. The words will be all, also be on the large screens in front of you if you'd like to follow along that way. Hear God's Word. Brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready, yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are not worldly. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Paul's writing there. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. Verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. That's the focal verse for today, and hence the title of today's message, Only God. And then verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, or co-laborers. You are God's field, God's building. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in my college days, like maybe some of you, I was in a fraternity. Some of you may have been in a sorority. And in my sophomore year, I was elected treasurer, and the bylaws required that the treasurer live in the house. So I moved out of the dorm into the house, and I got to see life up close there in the house. Fifty or sixty guys coming and going to meetings and all these gatherings and things like that. And then, of course, living in the house, got to see my housemates up and close. And a bunch of the guys had nicknames. There was Pacer, Fitz, Chipper, Spud, the other Chip, and then there was Mooch. Well, you can imagine why we called him Mooch. He was always looking for something from the other guys. And Mooch mostly crashed on somebody's couch. And every now and then, we would find Mooch sleeping on the floor in just somebody's room here and there. And then years later, I will be on Facebook looking at some of the reunions going on among the brothers or some of the gatherings at the beach and things like that. And you know what? Some of them have not changed a whole lot. 
Maybe you've been to a high school reunion. Maybe it was your fifth or your 25th or maybe your 50th. And you know, there are some of those guys and gals who just don't grow up. They're just like they were back then. I think that may have been some of what the Apostle Paul was experiencing. In this report that he had received from some of the leaders in the church, that there was division and quarreling and jealousy and injustice and immorality and mistreatment of the poor and abuses of worship and all of that, that Paul perhaps was saying, oh, I had hoped that they would grow up in Christ. I had hoped that they would mature spiritually. After all, I, I was the one who planted the church. I planted the seed. Apollos came after me and watered. And here, some years later, I'd hoped that it would grow and flourish and be mature. And yet I'm getting these reports. How discouraging. And then he writes the letter to try and help provide or admonish them in some ways to get back on track. Isn't that all of our hopes and all of our dreams? Isn't it spiritual maturity? Don't we hope that when someone is baptized into the church, that they will grow in their walk with Jesus and go out into the world and represent Him well? But that's not what Paul was experiencing. And we can learn from what happened in Corinth. Some of the believers may have slipped back into their former pagan behaviors, and so their Christianity was sort of mixed with all of that. Others perhaps were following a person rather than Jesus, following Paul or Apollos or some other leader in the church. And then still some others had this spiritual superiority about them. These believers should have been eating spiritual sirloin by now, but many of them were still drinking spiritual milk, bottle feeding. They thought that they were spiritual, but they were not. Paul addresses their jealousy and their quarreling and their factions, and all of this led them into a direction that, was, that led them to be not much different than people who were out in the world. This could be a very large stumbling block to the people outside of the faith. We might assume, well, where were the leaders? We might question that. Where were the leaders of the church? What were they doing? Perhaps some of them had not matured either. Or maybe, as often can happen in a new church start, new converts were placed in significant positions of leadership. I know at my former church, when I started there, we were meeting in a school. And we were excited when people came and joined. And oftentimes, we put new believers in our new church in key leadership positions and often it would backfire, and we had to learn from some of those mistakes. It was not fair to that person either because here a new convert was expected to have wisdom and maturity and to lead that section or that ministry in the church, and we put more on them than they asked for. So we had made, we had made some leadership mistakes as well. I would like to talk to us today about spiritual maturity and what it means to grow. Sometimes we follow charismatic leaders. 
Sometimes we follow our traditions and, one, and would like things to be as they always were. Sometimes we follow influential pastors and embrace a false understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. These behaviors, as we see in the Corinthian church, can lead to a shallowness where you might be an inch deep and a mile wide. Paul addressed the situation very honestly and openly and set out to help them to understand that spiritual growth does not come from a person. Spiritual growth did not come from Paul, the church planter. Spiritual growth does not come, did not come from Apollos, his successor. Spiritual growth did not come from other charismatic leaders in the church. Spiritual growth only comes from God. Hence the title of the sermon, Only God. Only God makes it grow. We're going to look at a few common myths of church growth today. Then we'll take a look at the early church, earlier than Corinth, back in Jerusalem, as a model for our future. It is my hope that we will seek to live out our divine purpose as we seek to serve alongside of our fellow believers as co-laborers in Christ, that we will bloom where we are planted. A few myths. If you're taking notes, you might jot these down. One, is, one myth is that church growth means numerical growth. Often we, we say this, and I've said it too, we need to grow. And what we mean is we need more people. Do not confuse spiritual growth, church growth, with numerical growth. That's a false assumption. Sometimes we say well, just more people or more dollars or bigger buildings or more programs and we will be growing. But they do not mean growth. If we read Paul's letters, we see that growth comes when there is evidence of spiritual fruit and spiritual maturity. Over a period of time, God's people worshiping together, loving one another, serving, breaking bread together, the things that we read about in the early church. Over time, growing spiritually and fruit will come. Another myth is that bigger is better. You, we, we see a lot of larger churches, and today in, in our land there are many mega churches with multiple campuses, and large crowds do not mean spiritual growth. There are a lot of large churches that can attract a crowd but do little to make disciples. Both large and small churches can either be healthy or unhealthy. So bigger is not always better, folks. I read an article by one pastor who lamented that his church was 200 when he came, and it was 200 in attendance when he left. It was almost 20 years later. But when he stepped back and looked at the spiritual fruit out of that body of believers over the course of time he was there, he was very excited about it. Bigger is not always better. Another myth is that the clergy are the ones who are responsible for both spiritual and numerical growth. It is easy for us to say, well, our staff are the ones we pay to do the ministry. It's easy for us to say that and then for us to kind of expect them or us, us pastors, to be the ones to bring about the growth. But that is a false assumption. That is a myth. Only the Holy Spirit of God brings growth. God uses pastors to be tools 
to help come alongside and equip the saints for ministry, to encourage you to bloom where you are planted, to fulfill the purpose that God has given you. But we are not the ones who are responsible for the growth. That is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. We are all responsible for our part in the process. Here are a few other signs. A nice digital sign will bring people in in droves. We, if we just get a nice digital sign with all of the events of our church scrolling, that's the, the answer to it. And that's not. Sometimes a new building campaign, that's what we need to do, and that will bring the growth. Or we just need to do an old-fashioned revival f- for five nights in a row every year, and that will bring the kind of growth that we want. Or a well-planned, slick marketing campaign for the church with nice, glossy postcards that go out to the community. That's going to bring the growth. Or if we could just start new Sunday school classes and expand that ministry, we will grow. Or if we only had more money in our budget, then we could experience high growth. Now, all of those things are important. Amen, choir? Right? They're all important. Those are all tools that God uses to help us to do ministry but we must not slip into the, the, the mentality that those things bring growth. If we look closely at what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in his letter, he is addressing the spiritual health of the body as opposed to all of their statistics and programs. Did Paul say anything about their attendance numbers? Did he say anything about how many different house churches they had because they didn't have big buildings, they had house churches? Did he say anything about how many different small groups they had? Did he say anything about the retreats? And the None of that. He's addressing the spiritual wellness of the people who are in the church, and that was tied to the way that they were acting out. He did not see, according to all the information that had been reported to him, fruit. And he's getting back to the basics. As we consider church health, let's look back to the early church in Jerusalem. I see the threads of the early church in Jerusalem woven through the Apostle Paul's letters. He's taking the Corinthians back to the basics of what it means to love God and to love one another. If you have your Bible, you can turn back with me to the book of Acts. That's right after the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And the words will be on the screen for you as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia in the Greek, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There was no division in those days. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the Lord added to their number, but he added to their number because they were producing spiritual fruit. They were worshiping together, breaking bread together, praying together, helping one another when they had needs. And all of these things, 
uh, eating together in one another's homes. And then God brought other people to come into their fold. God brought the increase. This leads me to the second thing for us, and you can take notes here if you'd like, is that we would pray the M factor for HRBC. The M factor. I see the things that were going on in the early church in Jerusalem as a way that we can pray for God's future vision for us. That we pray that we would be multi-generational. That we would be multi-ethnic. That we would be multi-dimensional as a church. And that we would be multiplying. Multi-generational. I see that happening right now. I believe that God has given a gift to us. That even in our 9 o'clock and in our 11 o'clock service to see multi-generations. On a regular basis, we seek to have multi-generations leading in worship. And you've seen that today and you see that regularly here. We do things together as a church across the generations. We're not just a bunch of 50-somethings. We're not just a bunch of 30-somethings. We're not just a bunch of 20-somethings. We are all of that. It's a gift. We need to cherish it. I believe that God is saying something to us for us to be in this part of Chesterfield County in this day and time, multi-generational. I believe, I believe God is saying something to us there. We need, to, we need to really cherish that and explore that some more. Multi-ethnic. We need to reach more than people just like ourselves. We need to be multi-dimensional, meaning different kinds of ministries, both social and evangelism. We, we need to be doing things to reach people for Jesus Christ and to nurture the ones we have. And multiplying, I believe that when we do those things, just like in the early church, that God will bring the growth, not only spiritual, but numerical. Part of this whole process is that you and I must fulfill the purpose that God has given us as part of the body of Christ. We are God's fellow workers. We are co-laborers for Christ. And it's not about what you can do or what I can do. It's about what God can do through you that will bring growth. It's a great story I read this past week in the um, the winter edition of the Virginia Baptist magazine. It's called well, um, BJV Express. That's what it is. If you, Some of you may have already seen it. And the article talked about North Fork Baptist Church, which is in the small town of Virgilina, Virginia. It's right down there on the state line in the South Boston area. And the youth committee chairperson and then the youth committee decided that they wanted to explore some new mission opportunities in the community. And so they started to pray and do some surveys about how they might engage in mission. They surveyed the congregation and uh, discovered that there was a need right in their midst. An older gentleman named Carrie Morris was raising his two grandchildren in his mobile home, and it needed a lot of work. So they were trying to figure out how to help them, hit him, but it soon after they surveyed his home, it's, it was soon evident that they needed a lot more than paint and a new front porch. The kitchen was deterior, the, the kitchen floor was collapsing, and the home was deteriorating. And they didn't know, they, you know, have you ever been involved in a mission and it became much more than you thought it was, and you didn't know what to do, Right? Well, that's what happened here. 
So they were like, well, we need to wait on God and just see how we're supposed to move forward. It turned out that the Vacation Bible School literature for that summer had within it a mission called Change a Home. And they, with the youth and the Vacation Bible School folks, got together and challenged the church to fix Mr. Morris's home. But not only to fix it, perhaps to buy him another one. It was going to cost around ten dollars to $15,000 to buy a used one. But could they, could they purchase him a brand new home? That cost was $57,000. So they, the children put together these small banks and they would raise money and people were encouraged to give their coins and to see what God would do. Money started coming in, support from the community started coming in, a local builder got involved, Clayton Homes of South Boston got involved, and the church was still $15,000 shy of purchasing Mr. Morris a brand new mobile home from Clayton Homes. Well, in November, so this is through VBS, and finally in, the, in November, the annual meeting of Virginia Baptist was in Roanoke. Some of you all were at Roanoke, and some churches were encouraged to set up displays of what God was doing in their congregations. And North Fork did that. And they had the little banks set out that people could contribute to to raise money for this mission project. They raised about $200 there at the BGAV, which they were very excited about. Well, when they, when they went back from the meeting, one of their key members involved in the program, Sherry Ballou, checked her mail, and in her mailbox was an envelope. And she opened the envelope, and there was a Christmas card. And inside the Christmas card was a check from an anonymous donor in the amount of $15,000. That donor was at the BGAV meeting and heard their story, saw what they were doing, saw the excitement in the church, and was so enthused that they made up the difference to purchase Mr. Morris a brand new mobile home. Mr. Morris and his grandchildren were in their new home by Christmas, and many people in the community have been touched. In fact, the representative from Clayton Home said, you think this mission was for Mr. Morris, But it wasn't. He said, it was for me. God has changed me. When we do our part with a servant's heart, God shows up and God makes it grow. Verse 6 of our passage tells us God brings the growth. Verse 7 helps us to be reminded that when we are invisible, that God is visible. And verse 8 reminds us that the one who plants and the one who waters each have different responsibilities, but that we are equally as responsible for the overall purpose of the mission. Someday we will receive an eternal reward in heaven, but while we are here on earth, our job is to be faithful to God and point people to Jesus. Our goal is life transformation, that people will become more and more like Jesus, that our church will become more and more reflective of the body of Christ, and the community around us will be more and more reflective of the kingdom of God. 
I hope, I hope that you will discover the unique purpose that God has for your life. Your spiritual giftedness, if you haven't figured that out already. Your way of serving, the unique abilities that God has given you that you might make a difference in this church and in the outside community. The third thing I want you to see, if you're taking notes, is to remember that only God brings growth. Only God makes things grow, but He wants us to bloom right where we are planted. God's put you in a school, in a neighborhood, in a workplace, in a community, in a club, in an association, in an organization, in a university, and he wants you to bloom right where you are planted. So there's a little box at the bottom of your sermon notes, and this is for the artistic people or for your inner artist, if you will. And whether it's this morning as we sing together or in your quiet time this week, I would like you to draw where God has planted you, and I would encourage you to draw yourself blooming. In my sermon notes, I wrote that I wanted to become an oak of righteousness, like the Scripture says in the Old Testament. I know there's not a lot of flowers on oak trees, but they sure do bud out and produce a lot of acorns for the deer to eat. They provide shade, and they have a strong root system. Children can swing on their branches Kids can climb up in them and see where they cannot see from the ground. So that would be where I would draw myself. I hope that you will draw yourself blooming where God has planted you. Neither he who plants nor she who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. Let's pray.